Welcome to the Crossroads podcast. My name is Kyle Yonker. I'm the editor for Spark Spread North America. I'm joined today by Rob West, the founder and CEO and himself an analyst at Thundersed Energy. I first heard Rob speak on a panel in December in which he made some very thought-provoking comments about the energy transition. And ever since then, I've wanted to interview him to delve deeper into some of his ideas and research. Thanks for talking to me today, Rob. Hey, thanks Thanks for having me. Great to, great to be with you, Kyle. So as I said, Rob has some very thought-provoking ideas backed by compelling research. And I think this conversation can be a good jumping off point for our audience of financial advisors, lawyers, developers, bankers, and investors to dive deeper into some of these ideas and your research in particular. So your research firm, founded in 2019, recently hit a milestone of publishing 2,000 pages of research. And to commemorate the occasion this month, you put together a report on your top 10 controversies in the energy transition. And that list and your ideas regarding these controversies, as you're calling them, are going to form the core of today's podcast. Before we get to that, I just wanted to ask you about your research approach. Because what I've seen is that you're doing sort of deep dive analysis on issues or companies or technologies, and you're combining it with an analysis of patents, which is something I've never seen before. So I just wanted to see if you could take us through your research approach and why you think it's important to consider patents. Well, I I think we're all trying to figure this thing called energy transition out. And we're all in the same boat that nobody is an expert in in this stuff because it doesn't exist yet. And we're kind of, you know, throughout the entire community of decision makers, to some extent, making it up as we go along of how we're going to meet the energy needs of the world and taking out all of the CO2. So a lot of the technologies that we're looking at to get the world to net zero um, are early stage. And what I found in my time as an analyst, if you talk to a charismatic CEO of an early stage company, they're convinced it will work by tomorrow. And um, they just need a little bit more capital and it will be perfect. But what I found with patents, to get granted a patent, you have to start by telling the world what industrial problem you are trying to solve. And so in the patents, people tend to be very forthcoming about their problems. And, and I like that because, you know, really, I think what we're all trying to do as decision makers in this space is find the areas that are going to have the fewest problems. And, and that's, that's where patents I found really helpful. Okay, so let's jump into the 10 controversies. Here they are as Rob has laid them out. Inflation, geopolitics, new energies costs, renewables, grid backups, green hydrogen, nature-based solutions, oil and gas, hidden opportunities, and finally, SPACs and technologies. So number one is inflation. The International Energy Agency recently published a roadmap for reaching um, net zero emissions, which you calculate will cost $400 a ton on average per ton of global CO2 abated. You say that this is 10 times more expensive than your own roadmap to net zero. And the IE model, you say, would also lead to dangerous inflation. Can you just take us through how your net zero model differs from the IEA model? Yeah, the, the biggest difference is that the IEA model isn't really trying to get the world to net zero. It's trying to get the world to zero fossil fuels. And they're totally different things. So w- when we talk about net zero and the Thunderset energy model, we, we want to meet you know, 100,000 terawatt hours of annual energy demand in a system that puts net zero CO2 into the atmosphere. You, you can still use low-cost, efficient, 
well-run oil and gas in that mix, you just have to make sure that you either capture the CO2 or, or you offset it by nature-based solutions like, like reforestation or getting carbon into soils. The IEA roadmap kind of goes a little bit further and says, how do we meet the energy needs of the world with zero oil and gas? And, and because of that, it's much more heavily weighted towards really building out renewables to the levels where the volatility gets really hard to manage. And pathways like hydrogen, which are just very, very expensive. And back to our patents, um, have some elephant traps and, and, and issues hidden in there that um, maybe some people aren't thinking about. Number two is geopolitics. You foresee the potential for tensions to rise between developed nations that now want to decarbonize and the rest of the world that is developing and increasing greenhouse gas emissions. What do you think is the most likely end game here and why? Well, I'm, I'm worried about it. I, I started Thunder at Energy because the idea of climate change was keeping me up at night. There's something else keeping me up at night much more these days, and it's this. You know, how's the world going to work if we bend over backwards in the, in the developed world to decarbonize our economies and we get to net zero and India, China and Africa keep growing their emissions and then they say, nah, we don't really care about that. You're on your own in the West. We'll just keep emitting. You know, what, what, are, what are Western policymakers going to do in that world? And I don't think we have a good answer to that other than putting in border taxes. Um, but the, the only historic analogy I can find that looks remotely similar is, you know, what happened with the you know, abolitionist movement in, in the United States in the 1830s, 40s, and 50s. And um, I think there's some really big questions about whether the world wants to go down that, that route. Yeah. So the next one you say here could potentially pull us back from this trajectory. That's new energies costs. You say the costs of new energies could go down so much that the developing world could jump straight into these clean technologies. What are the dynamics influencing potential deflation of these technologies? And what do you think are the most promising? Well, the, the debate here is, do costs go down and down and down or up and up and up for, for new energies? And the fear that I have from having built over 130 models around this is, is that at some point, the costs of new energy is going to start going up again. And, and where that point is, is when we try and decarbonize the making of new energies themselves. So I'll give you an example. You know, one kilogram of photovoltaic silicon emits 140 kilograms of CO2 when it's made, principally in China using coal power. So if you were to decarbonize making the solar panels, the, the costs would stop falling and they would reinflate. They'd probably double from, from where they were in you know, 2019 prior to COVID. And that, that's the challenge is that when you start having to decarbonize everything in this, you know, five trillion a year map, like the copper and the steel and the, um, well, everything, then you get these inflationary feedback loops coming through. And so maybe instead of costs going down and down and down and down, there's fears they might start going back up again. One of the most interesting things that I've seen you write about is the optimal share of renewables in decarbonized 2050 power grids. 
Can you just go over your views on that and why you think this range of 40 to 50% is the optimal share? Sure. If you plot the data of all the wind farms offshore in the UK, you'll have three days where they're generating flat out and they're all generating flat out at exactly the same time. And then you'll have somewhere between two and 10 days where they don't generate at all. And that volatility is really hard to backstop. Um, people talk about, oh, it's easy. We'll just put some batteries into the grid. Model the size of how big those batteries would have to be to backstop 10 days plus, and, and you just can't do it. At least you just can't do it without going back to the previous controversy, you know, costs just starting to get out of control. So I think the right answer is to stop at 40 to, 40 to 50. With the remaining power needing to come from nuclear, geothermal, blue hydrogen, and carbon offset natural gas. Exactly right. Okay. That leads us to number five here, which is backing up a renewables heavy grid. You say that grid scale batteries and hydrogen are ineffective. Instead, you say demand shifting is a vastly better option. How do we implement a system for demand shifting at the scale required? Well, as, as usual, uh, you read my comments to me and I agree with myself. Um, demand shifting is the best option. So if I need something to store up the renewables and re-release them, it's going to cost me money because I have to build a thing and it's going to have an efficiency loss because of the second law of thermodynamics. Instead, if I move my electric vehicle charging to when the renewables are generating, it basically costs me nothing because it's something I was going to do anyway. And that principle doesn't just apply to electric vehicle charging, which is you know, a simple, easy way to understand it. It could apply from everything from you know, electric arc furnaces in the steel industry through to data centers, through to um, ICT technologies, through to desalination plants. Um, I think about 20% of mature grids could end up being power, uh, demand flexible like that. And that's, that's companies that can do this, can do it right, just can start printing money because there's going to be about a third of the time when renewables mean power prices are zero or, or, or even negative, And about a third of the time when power prices go through the roof because renewables are not generating, somebody's got to be the marginal person to switch off. So a steel company could essentially operate when these power prices are low, very low or negative. You got it. Exactly right. Okay. Number six here is green hydrogen. Yeah, I, I will just quote quote you a little bit more here. You say, no other theme in the energy transition has attracted more hype than hydrogen. Is this the ultimate transition fuel? I think the more green hydrogen I put into my models, the less decarbonization I get. If I start with 100 megawatt hours of renewable energy, I want to displace 100 megawatt hours of coal. If I make that 100 megawatt hours of renewable energy into hydrogen, I have a big efficiency loss and only get to displace 50 megawatt hours of coal. There are issues around the cost. There's issues around technology readiness. Um, this could be a one, one and a half hour session if we talk just about green hydrogen. So let's, let's leave that one there. Nature-based carbon offsets are number seven. Well, they're, they're the most exciting to me. So I, I think you could do about 3 billion acres of reforestation at about five tons of CO2 per acre per year. That's a 15 billion ton per year carbon sink. Last year, I offset my own CO2 emissions 10 times over. 
I actually believe in this so much that I'm starting my own reforestation project uh, over here and, um, you know, going to offset my own lifetime of CO2 emissions. That's very interesting. We might have to come come back to that one or save it for round two of the podcast. So let's go to number eight here, which is oil and gas. In your roadmap to net zero, what is the role of oil and gas? Well, if they can provide energy that can be carbon offset and, and not have any emissions go into the atmosphere on a net basis, then I think they have a very good future in, in the future energy system. And, and so I have about 85 million barrels a day of oil and about 375 TCF a year of gas in a you know fully decarbonized, fully modeled energy system in 2050. And um, you know, if I look at decarbonizing somewhere like China, the biggest bottleneck to actually doing this is that we can't get enough gas into China to displace you know, coal, which is 65% of the, of the total energy mix. So I have a lot of oil and gas in this, this roadmap. And each megawatt hour that we generate from natural gas is only one third of the CO2 is from coal. So you know, if we need those megawatt hours to come from somewhere, we've got to get them from the low carbon places. And of course, there's not a free pass for the gas industry. We've still got to catch all of the methane leaks and we've got to capture the CO2 and offset the CO2. Okay, we've got two more to get to here. Number nine is hidden opportunities. Underneath the, the veneer of some of the hot themes in the energy transition, you see some of these hidden opportunities. What, what are some of your top picks today? I, I think there's just too, so many to go into that I, I don't want to go into any, any one or two things because then I'll feel bad for the other ones that I, 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 didn't, I didn't mention. So I, let's, let's, let's save that one for another time. Let's go to, let's go to the last one, SPACs and Technologies. You note here that 360 new companies have come to the market in 2021 as SPACs, the largest category being new energies. You're talking about risking these companies in the right way. So can you just take us through what type of risking you think is appropriate? Well, I've, I've always thought when we're looking at these new technology companies, you know, you, you want to figure out, is the technology real? Does it work? And Often, all you have to go on is a kind of glossy presentation pulled together by the company. So I, I like when I go through the patents, I look for five things. I want to see, you know, what specific challenges do the company claim to have solved? You know, if, if, if there's an issue that, um, I don't know, that your fuel cells generally don't tend to work very well when it's too humid or too dry, is that the area where you've got, you know, the killer breakthrough? What is it? Two, how specific is the solution? You know, not a sort of vague, we've solved all the problems of the world in our magic mystery box, but here is a specific thing we are building. Here is how we're doing it. And you can lay that out in the patents because um, that's what a patent is. Um, but then can you understand it? You know, because um, I always find the best way to de-risk something is when I can wrap my, my head around it. Whereas um, th things that are just unintelligible full stop, I, I think are more of a punt than a investment. So that, those are the, the top three things that you know, I, I look at. And we, we tend to you know, score um, companies on, on those dimensions based on going through all their patents. And I, I always say that you sort of spend um, 100 minutes reading patents a little bit bored, but then the one minute 
where you, you know, figure out the, like the really crucial Eureka moment, it kind of makes the entire exercise worth, worthwhile. So um, I guess one thing I try and do is invest those hundred minutes and just share with people the, the one minute Eureka moment and um, get, give them the bit they, they really need to know. But there, there are some amazing opportunities. I mean, I, I'm sorry, you know, this short format isn't the right way to explore them all, but there are just some truly incredible opportunities com coming through to you know get the transition done and um i i guess thinking back on the things we've we've talked about um i just want to point out it, it was called the top 10 controversies in the energy transition for a reason so if if some of this sounds controversial um especially in the, the very brief uh showing we gave it today then um i guess i should say that is by design Yes, exactly. We want this to be a jumping off point, And uh, we thank you very much for being with us. Well, thank, thanks for covering so much ground in such a short amount of time and, and great talking with you. And I hope we can we can go into the weeds on a on, on a separate occasion. Absolutely. 